Hello and welcome to episode two. My name is PDA, and in this podcast, I read stories and poetry from my website, PDAWriting.com. Today, I'll be reading chapter two, Current Relics, from P.I. Cone and the Bicentennial. Please enjoy. Though their hometown wasn't that much farther north than the city Dale was currently living in, it still seemed to get colder sooner. September was always an odd month with the weather, especially in this small town. The lingering heat of the summer brought warm afternoons and discarded jackets as they were let out of school. Dale always found peace in the slow, cooling days. It calmed their summer-heated nerves. Dale stood in front of their hotel window in an oversized sweater that would later be set aside in the afternoon heat. Their hotel was right on Main Street, and they looked down at the town they'd once knew so well. The Thomas's pharmacy was still there, probably owned now by their son. The Thomas couple was, an, was ancient when Dale was a kid. They couldn't imagine that they would still be alive 13 years later. The comic book store was gone. It was a shame. The owner, Miss Greensburg, was always getting the best comics and earlier than any other small town could expect. She was the best, and every month she had free comics for them. It seemed bittersweet now. That last year here, their senior year of high school, was not a good year. Several bad and confusing things had happened. Dale had gotten out of this town as soon as they could. They never wanted to return. They swore that day they left that they would never see these streets again. But they were here, looking down at Main Street. They were back in their hometown, and they weren't exactly sure why. They knew they could never resist the call of a cold case. Those were always the most interesting cases and generally the hardest. It was rare to get a full account of a cold case. But it wasn't just the lore that had brought them here. They knew they wanted to prove to this town that the person... That child that left all those years ago was an adult and had made something of themselves. There had been plenty of people who weren't sad to see Dale go. They wanted to prove to them that they could be worth something, even if they were something different. Dale pushed away from the window. They snarled at themselves for thinking of those people who had made their life a hell at the end. They weren't worth the time. Dale doubted they would see those people. And so they were glad to keep them in the past where they belonged. As Dale finished turning from the window, their phone rang. Hello, Detective Chris. Dale could hear the Iro. Elia was able to get this specialist of yours in. It looks like she was able to get some results. We have an ID on the body. Meet me at the lab in an hour and we can both hear the rest of what Dr. Harrison has to say. Don't sound some glum. This is great news. Chris chuckled weakly. I guess you're right. This town can't take any more people from the city, though. Especially people like your doctor friend. Dale laughed. Sylvia had that effect on people. I'll see you soon, Chris. The sun was high as they pulled into the station parking lot. They adjusted their clothes as they stepped out of the car. 
They had left their oversized sweater in the hotel and instead was wearing dark tailored slacks and a well-fitted red silk blouse. These weren't Dale's average day wear, even on a case, but in this old town they couldn't help but try to impress. As they walked to the building, they saw people taking an extra glance at them and they knew that they had made the right choice. Their clothes told the people that they were now a high-end professional, and Dale was, even if they didn't normally dress like one. A small smile tugged at the corner of Dale's lips as they walked into the station. They almost winked at the officer on front desk duty before descending into the ME lab. Dale smiled as they entered the ME lab. They were always happy to see Sylvia. She was in her mid-thirties with hair reddened with henna and a soft, ochre skin tone. Dale! She opened her arms for a hug. The moment I knew you were on this case, I just had to be there. And of course I had to see my old friend from school. We do not live that far from each other, and do you believe that it has been months since we've seen each other? Dale snored. It's a four-hour drive. It doesn't matter. We should still see each other more. Me and Aliyah. Aliyah just smiled and shook her head. And I don't see you near enough as well. It's always on cases and almost never anything else. We are friends, are we not? Yes, Sylvia. Then we need to see each other more outside of work. She turned to Chris. Can you believe it? They didn't even tell me they were coming down to this charming town of yours. I cannot. Chris said, straight-faced. Dale had a hard time not laughing. Sylvia could be a lot to handle. That's one of the reasons why they liked her so much. I do believe, though, that we have a case to get to. Case this, case that. He talks like it's the only thing that matters. Sylvia shook her head. Case it is, then. This is the body of a woman in her 20s. She has been in the water for about 40 to 50 years. Chris furrowed his eyebrows. You see this? Sylvia adjusted the expression. I tell him about the case, and even then he isn't happy about it. I was told you had an ID. Maybe that has something to do with it? Dale suggested. I'm the one who figured that out. Forty-four years ago, a pair of twins went missing. They were twenty-two. It's one of them. The timeline fits. Elias spoke up. And it can't be anyone else from anywhere else, Dale asked. Just because the timeline fits doesn't mean that this was one of the twins. Chris was the one who shook his head this time. Note the broken hand. Sylvia had pointed it out to me earlier. In the missing persons report, their parents had filled one of the twins had a broken hand from an unknown source. Does that mean we know which twin it is? Dale asked. Yes, it's Victoria Stevens. Her sister Mary Stevens and her were last seen on the day of the bicentennial during the town celebrations. Do you know? Do we know what happened to the other twin? Chris shook his head. If she went into the water with the other twin, she was probably washed away. Sylvia commented more businesslike than she had been earlier. That didn't much sit right with Dale. They felt like something was off with that, but they couldn't put their finger on it. They mentally shook their head. It would be something that they would have to think about later. What's the cause of death? Blunt force trauma. Could have been an accident. Not likely. The indentation looks like it was probably a bat. Also note the scrapes. It suggests that she was in the water after the blow. Dale thought back about where she was found. She would have had to be out in the middle of the lake in order to get where she was. It wouldn't have been easy, and there was no area in which she could have accidentally hit her head before falling into the lake as a result. The lake was dead water for the most part. No current would have gotten her that far. 
She was dropped in after she was already dead or incapacitated. There was no two ways about it. As always, Sylvie, it's a pleasure to work with you. Dale smiled despite the grim subject. Please let me and the wonderful Detective Chris Wallens know if you find anything else. Aliyah choked back to laugh at Chris's red face. Wonderful. Chris most definitely was. Chris? Yes. Do we have anyone still alive who was on that case? Dale and Chris knocked on the door of the police officer whose name was on the missing persons report for the twins. They heard the bang of a window opening and the gruff, What do you want? We would like to talk to you, Chris called. And who would we be? was the reply. I'm the town detective in the RPI from the city. All right, come in. The door's unlocked. Take the first left and you'll see me. The house was cluttered, to say the least. Stacks of old newspapers lined the hallway from the front doorway to the living room. The carpet looked to be a dull russet from the glimpses Dale could see. Old, dusty frames holding sepia and black and white pictures were jammed together on the walls with no sense of pattern. As Chris and them rounded the corner into the living room, Dale nearly ran into a wooden shelf about three feet tall filled with grimy porcelain cows? It looked like they were cows. The black and white areas blended together under a layer of dirt. Dale rightened themselves in the shelf, which only emitted a small clink at the disturbance. Dale examined the living room, and it was worse. There was a small path to two armchairs that sat next to a street-facing window with a table between them. Dale could barely see the wall color or wallpaper, judging by the peeling in the doorway. The walls were lined with shelves from floor to ceiling. Some looked stacked on top of each other rather precariously. The shelves were lined with books and tomes that hadn't seen the light of day since what looked like the 1940s. The carpet, again, maybe a russet color, was obscured by piles of more books, papers, long jockeys, more cows, and what looked to be a few talking bass. There was a man in one of those armchairs who looked to be older than time itself. Good afternoon, Mr. Jones, Dale said. Chris cleared so Sorry, Ray. Don't afternoon me. It's a horrible afternoon. If I'm being visited by prissy city folk, sit down. You're tall. He jabbed a finger at the other chair. And you there, skinny detective, you can stand next to him. You're not nearly as tall as you should be and won't bother me if you stand. Dale mentally winced at the him, but was expecting it and settled into the chair. Dale's eyes widened slightly as their butts finally sank all the way down. They think they might need a crane to get them out of this chair. Their knees are at their chest and their arms are smashed against them. Chris places a forearm on a wooden statue of another cow. As he slowly gives its weight to it, it starts tipping over. He quickly puts his feet back under him and decides to stand on both feet with his arms crossed over his chest. Be careful with that, the old man grounds. Now what do you boys want? We're here about a case you handled. And which one would that be? I've had a long life in the forest. i had a lot of cases. Victoria and Mary Stevens. They were missing in 76. That they did. What's it to you? Victoria's body was found recently. Oh, that piece of news seems to sober the man. Well, what can I do to help? Tell us about your report and how you handled things. All right, let me see if I can remember. Dale did not think that memory was one of Raymond Jones's problems. Cleaning was more like it. They felt something sticking to their arm. I was on desk duty on the 5th, and I tried, was tired as sin. I had stayed up all night. The girl's parents came in about 11. 
I had been contemplating trying to stick a pencil in the ceiling when they tapped on the desk. They were worried, you see. The girls hadn't come home that night, and they had said they were going to. And they were good girls. They wouldn't have gone off anywhere without telling them, even though as adults they didn't need to. I was just a little bit older than the girls at the time. So I told the parents. I would make note of it, not really having any intention of doing so, but that they were adults, and though they were good girls, they could have just stayed at the night at a friend's house. They could have been out later than expected and didn't want to disturb you as they came home. It wasn't too far in the day, and they still might turn up. Their downcast faces as they left was the only reason why I did put it into memory. And by the next day, all girls still hadn't returned. Then I took it upon myself to look into it. But no one had seen anything, or if they had, they weren't saying anything. I didn't know the girls personally, so once I talked to those who had seen them at the party, I was out of ideas. There's no one else for me to go. Thank you for your time. Dale had to tear themselves from the chair before offering a hand to the old P.O. To their surprise, they actually gripped it. I hope you find out what happened. Maybe city's thicker. It's just what we need. It wasn't anything to go on, Dale thought as Chris and them stepped back outside. The sun, though slowly getting weak, felt nice after that cramped and dark house. Dale ran their fingers over their arm and ran into what felt like bubblegum. Upon a visual inspection, it turned out to be lime green bubblegum. It was stuck to their copious amounts of arm hair. Dale knew that they should have rolled down their sleeves before entering that house. Dale set about trying to pull it free. I figured we wouldn't get much, Chris said. I don't think really anyone in this town knows much. From the way my father tells it, I asked him about it last night. These girls were loved in the town. I couldn't think of anyone who wanted to hurt them. I know, but I had hope for at least something. We don't seem to have much at all right now, even with your father's statement. We just need more time. There's some evidence we, that we can look back at. Tomorrow, though? Chris had just noted Dale's struggle. You'll just have to cut the hair off. I know the brand. It's a terror to get out of hair. I know. I accidentally put it in my sister's once. Dale snorted. Of course Chris had. They had felt they felt sorry for Samantha. Evidence would be nice, Dale said, finally giving up on their task. Tomorrow, though. After all, I do you believe you are late for coffee with Andrew. Dale swore and looked at their watch. Chris was right. Dale should have been there ten minutes ago. Take the car, said Chris. I'll walk. My house is just a few blocks from here. Dale thanked him and hurried back to the main street. Dale was out of breath as he sat down across from Andrew, the gum gone and their sleeves back in place to hide the patch of the hair arm missing. Good afternoon, Andrew said as he sipped his London fog. Dale knew the smell of that drink very well. It was Andrew's favorite. It has always been when they were kids. Dale was mildly surprised that Andrew still drunk it. If I recall correctly, Dale started, the last time I was with you when you were drinking that, it ended up in your face. Ah, uh, what a fond memory, Andrew said wryly as he placed his cup back down on the table. Yes, so fond. Kristen thought you were making advances and decided she needed to throw your freshly made fog in your face. I still have the scar. Andrew patted a spot with on his cheekless finger. Thinking back, I was lucky my entire face didn't scar. That was some hot drink she threw at me. 
Yeah, but we didn't think about it back then. We just laughed. After all, she was so not your type. Oh yeah, because teenage me so wanted to date the popular girl at our school. The one that liked to terrorize us whenever she could. Damn, she was horrible to us. What happened to her? Dale was only a little bit curious. She married Jerry Stone. They moved out of town when he got a big job at a law firm. From what I gather from local gossip is that she is still preening and prancing just now with the wives of the firm. He may not be top lawyer, but she makes sure she is top wife. They're doing good, it seems. Despite the torment, Dale was always happy for them. Everyone deserved a good life. How are you doing? Dale asked. I'm doing good. I own, I created the local photography shop. I run it mostly by myself. Sometimes I'll have help from high school students looking to gain experience before going off to college. It's not much, but it's afforded me a house and a comfortable living. Comfortable? Dale raised his brow. Judging by your shoes, it's more than a decent living. Angie smiled. Couples will come up from the city to get engagement or wedding photos taken. They always want a local photographer because I know the area and all the best spots to take pictures. And knowing you, you charge them a lot. I uh, may increase my prices just a little bit for people from the city. They don't know any better. I'm still cheaper than the shops in the city. Andrew took another sip of his drink. How are you, Dale? It was almost sadly, and Andrew couldn't seem to look Dale in the eye. I'm doing good. I make my money off of rich couples with cheating spouses and businessmen who want to know where the money is going. You never could resist a puzzle, even if it was a simple one. Dale smiled at that. I take on cold cases for free unless someone has specifically hired me. Did you get hired for this case? Yes. Would you have taken it if not? Yes. And so after 13 years, you have decided to come waltzing back into town. Why come back now? Why stay away for so long? Andrew almost seemed to be pleading, almost begging. You know why I left. Dale, fiddling with their short sleeves, keeping their eyes away from Andrew's face. Even then, they could tell that Andrew looked like a sad, lost puppy. Dale didn't want to face what happened over a decade ago. Oh, uh, no. Andrew said solemnly. Well, that didn't mean you had to stay away for so long, or that you could never come back. I missed you. I've missed you, too, Dale said quietly. Why don't you come to dinner while you were here? Dale nodded. Dinner would be great. I hope you enjoyed chapter two of P.I. Cone and the Bicentennial, chapter two, Current Relics. Ooh, it was a fun one. We got introduced to Sylvia, and though technically Andrew was kind of introduced in the last chapter, we got introduced to him more fully and actually got to see him sitting down and talking with Dale a little bit about the past. And so uh, we start off the chapter with Dale in their hotel room looking out the window like they would do at, at their apartment, even though the window is small. You, a lot of, I'm sure 
most of you listening have been to a hotel room, you know, it's not the same, even if, um, it's a, even if it's a good hotel room and it like, it's a small town. It's not like a, it's like a mom and pop hotel rather than like, you know, a, a big chain or something. Um, so we have that and we have them talking about, um, being in their hometown, what it was like, but also about September weather where, uh, the chanciness of September weather sometimes because though I didn't name the cities because I didn't know if I wanted to make the cities real or fake. Um, and I didn't want to deal with fake names with cities. If I decided to make the cities fake, um, I did place them in the Midwest somewhere. And that's because where I, um, where I grew up was the Midwest and a little bit West as well. Um, so I understand the, the chanciness of the weather. So I put, I wanted to put that in there because I just because, it's those like little environmental things, I guess, that help sell the setting of a story um, because you're not going to get snow in the Bahamas. Um, but, but you also have them talking about their past, looking down on Main Street, trying to almost reminiscing, but not necessarily. It's nostalgia, but not in that good nostalgia. It's that, oh, all of this, but it has like painful memories attached to it too, because at the end, the town wasn't nice to them. And so they're kind of processing that as well as the good memories of the pharmacy, I believe it was, I don't have the thing open right now, um, the comic book store and all of that. Uh, so they have that going through their head about the town that they once lived in. So, and then they get the call, the specialist is in and a specialist has an ID and then like you have like this short scene in there where Dale's like yes I'm gonna be fantastic dressed to the T just to go into this on lab because with their nostalgia and reminiscing before they're they're remembering all the people who wished them ill and they want to dress to impress like if I can fully understand especially because I was kind of the weird one odd man out in my high school. To be fair, I had friends, obviously. Um, but, like, still being that... A weird one, I should say. Um, which kind of was what Dale was classified into. Especially in a small town. Um, but, uh... So, like, he... They want to... They want to prove something. They feel like they have to prove something. Not in... Though they know they don't have to prove anything to anyone in this town, they're still going to show off their best because they don't want to show the, I don't know, what they might consider the weak parts of their personality or of their business or whatever. So that's what they do. They, they want to dress. And, I mean, I would. If I was coming back to my hometown and seeing people, like, going to, like, my 10-year reunion, which is next year actually if my school decides to do anything about it um i would dress well just to impress like it makes sense to me um but just i just liked a little bit of a scene there but then as we enter the me lab we get to meet sylvia and i love sylvia she's such a fun energetic character she's very i don't know what uh what word i'm looking for but uh I, there's a word i know there's a word i think it's gregarious but she's very, she's very open about her emotions, doesn't hide what she's thinking. She's very forthright and forthcoming, and she's amazing. And uh, obviously, now Aliyah, 
who is a lot more outgoing than Chris is anyways. Uh, but she she is tame a little bit compared to Sylvia sometimes because of how, of how uh, enthusiastic Sylvia can be. Um, and so you do have... Uh, but then also there's Chris. And Chris is a cat who will look at you and give you a look and be like, all right, okay. Um, but, uh, but the contrast between Sylvia and Chris is just absolutely hysterical. It's like a dog and a cat came together um, and apparently tried interacting. Rather, the dog tried interacting with the cat and the cat was like, uh-huh, I don't like you. Even though Chris has nothing against Sylvia, she's he's just exasperated, to say the least. And Dale, understanding Sylvia, because they have worked with her countless times as she is the ME that they go to um, when they need something, they're just laughing about it so much. Um, so Eliza is also laughing because she knows her husband well. Um, and she also knows Sylvia as they were... Uh, college college pals and so I enjoyed that scene so much but also in that scene we get to know the identity of the victim Victoria Stevens who went missing during the bicentennial celebrations that the town had put together which gives name to the title P.I. Cone and the bicentennial and so and then we don't know where Mary Stevens is the twin and sister who had uh who was last seen with her and I was also missing somewhere. So we don't get to know too much, obviously, but we know that Victoria C. Stevens, the, wow, I can say my character's names, um, was the one found in the lake, man-made lake, um, more like a reservoir. Anyways, um, and then, and she also had a broken hand. We don't know where Mary is yet. But we do at least have an identity. And with a small town, how many options are there about a missing woman in her 20s with a broken hand that's been in the water for, what, 50 years? Did I say 50 years? 40 to 50 years, I think, was the timeline. Like, how many options are going to have? To be fair, eh, it's 1970s. There's a lot of things that could happen. But they know it well enough to be like, this is Victoria Stevens. So we, we have that. So, and then, and then we get to, you know, have the fun of, uh, the old police officer who is a relic in, of, in and of himself and surrounded by relics because his house is jam packed. And I could probably come up with the color of the carpet, but I have no idea either because I just imagine it just so layered with things. Cause one, you have rugs on the floor, like the long runner type of rugs on the floor on carpet, which I don't necessarily understand people who do that, which means I guess I don't understand myself as I have a carpet on top of a, I have a rug on top of a carpet. But anyways, but just like everything is just lined and jammed packed with things. You have the porcelain cows, which are so dusty that you can barely tell they're cows anymore because the white and blend, white and blend. Wow. White and black blend together. Um, and then, He's a cratchety old man, which, to be fair, I think if I lived in that household, I might be a little bit cratchety, too. I'm pretty sure the long jockeys would be staring at me in my sleep. But in any case, um, he tells the story of the um, what he knew about Victoria and Mary Stevens, 
how well they were lasting at the celebration, how their parents came in the day after, um, telling them that they were missing. And, uh, though, uh, they were adults and obviously can, are in charge of their own lives. You never know. And they were living with them and it's better to be safe than sorry. So they did report the girls missing. Um, and obviously they were right to do so seeing as Victoria was found 40 to 50 years later, um, in the bottom of a lake with a broken hand. So, we don't get too much information out of him just yet, but we have to at least get the start of the picture of what's going on in Victoria and Mary's life. Well, barely. Um, we get the mention of Chris's father and Chris's sister, and that as well. So, because his father would have been old enough to, at least in passing, know who Victoria was. So, and apparently, according to the father anyways... Victoria and Mary were well loved by the town. So it's a mystery to why she was murdered and dropped into a lake. Obviously, of course it's a mystery. It's a mystery story. What else are we going to do about it? But anyways, um, then we have uh, Coffee with Andrew. And yeah, this is where we really get into, not really get into, we get a little bit more into the history between Andrew and Dale. They did go to school together, obviously. Um, they graduated same class and Dale left, and Andrew stayed, and so you have that tension between them, because they have so much history, so while writing this beginning scene is like, you have all of that history, all of that partial comfortability with each other, because they knew each other for so long, and so well, that there's still that connection there, not, thir 13 years cannot replace almost, well, Probably another 13 years, because I'm pretty sure I think I put them together in kindergarten at or something along those lines. But, but they cannot place growing up with somebody, no matter how long it's been. Having that comfortability, and also just like, the last time they saw each other, they were still teenagers, they were still kids, for the most part. And now they're adults, both of them, both doing well in their own chosen profession. And so, like, it's like, how do we know who we are now at the same time. It's just like, I know who you are because I've known you forever. And you have that tension there. And I enjoyed with playing with that tension. And Dale left Andrew. So Andrew is obviously wasn't the happiest about that. But they were best friends. And so I guess I just, I'm kind of rambling, I feel like, but I really enjoyed writing that tension. I really enjoyed, I don't know if this is enjoyed, but... Yeah, enjoyed. They're characters. Thankfully, they're not real people. But yeah, it was... I enjoyed writing that scene so much with the tension in the play between uh, hey, I've known you forever, but I don't know who you are now. And yeah, um, we may be on good terms now, but we weren't always on good terms. And how and with how abruptly that Dale left, like, there's so much going on there, and they have such a deep history. Because I feel like, not them saying high school years are golden years, I would never go back to high school to save my life. Well, well maybe to save my life, but that's the only exception. Um, but the people, at least the my friends who I've stayed connected with, that I knew in high school, is that we know each other on like a different level than anybody else, I feel like, would get to know me. Because they've been there through all that, those awkward stages. They got to know you when you're doing all those stupid mistakes and learning from them. And so you have that with Andrew. 
and Dale. You have that. I know all the stupid things we've did, all the stupid things maybe individually we've did. And even though it's been 13 years, I still, I still know you. Even if I don't know who you are right now. And so they get to learn about that, but they also have to go over the past with what happened around the time that Dale left. And just, I am greatly looking forward to reading more about that relationship. Because obviously, I've written it. Um, P.I. Cone and the Bicentennial is done. Completely done. Um, I'm waiting on my patron who had commissioned it um, to approve the last chapter. Um, and to be fair, not all, not even, I had, I think I have like seven chapters up right now. I need to post eight up, I believe. And I want to do that by the end of the month, but, and through all of that, you do, you, we get the, we get to know more about the relationship that Dale and Andrew had before Dale left and what happened with that and why they stopped talking for 13 years. And just, because in this story, obviously we have plot A, which is Victoria Stevens and Mary Stevens, why Victoria was murdered and dropped into a lake, and that mystery, the actual murder mystery part of the story. That's plot A. But then you have plot B, which is Dale and his past, which deals a lot with Andrew, because obviously Andrew was their best friend for so long. So I'll, Andrew was deeply interconnected with all of that. And so that relationship, that history I enjoyed developing over the course of these 10 chapters. Um, and I'm excited for whoever's listening to get to know more about them. And when just we just started, we just barely brushed with coffee. And there's so much more than just that. And there's so much more with Victoria Stevens and Mary Stevens. There's such a history there too. And that, that was fun to figure out. And I didn't even figure out all of it until the end as well. Like, I, I had planned the stories and kind of done little bits here and there, but I don't think I really understood what I was going to do with it until I think about halfway through actually writing and posting the chapters that I figured out what actually happened. And so, that that was fun. And I do have another DI... DI? Sure. DIY story. Yeah. Anyways, um, I do have another P.I. Cone story in the works. I'm planning it right now. My generous patron who has who commissioned the first one has also commissioned the second one. And this one's going to be longer and uh, deals with, obviously, Dale in the city, but other things. I'm not going to give any spoilers away because I barely know what's going on yet. So, but as always... I hope you enjoyed the chapter, um, and uh, please check out pdawriting.com. Um, that's where I have all of my writing that I've been posting on my website. There's a lot more on there, obviously, because it's only the second episode of this podcast. But please, go check it out. Go enjoy and read. And if you're more of an auditory person, I'll keep on posting. I'm not sure my posting schedule just yet. Right now, I'm thinking maybe every other week, um, but I'll let you know as soon as I finalize something. Right now, I'm just going for it, and I'm just enjoying the ride. So, I hope you guys enjoyed. This was episode two, 
Chapter 2 of P.I. Conan the Bicentennial, Current Relics. And I will see you guys next time.